So let's read from chapter 10, verse 1 of the book of Acts. At Caesarea, there's a man called Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Joppa's a little way away, so this ties in beautifully when you realise how, how long it took them. About noon the following day, as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Now I'm going to stop that passage there. What was Peter's problem? Peter's problem is that he was brought up as a devout Jew. Devout Jews can't have bacon sandwiches because they're made out of pork and pork is one of the banned meats for the Israelites. It's in the Old Testament, you can see it there. What Peter had to realise was that some of the things that were restrictions put upon the nation of Israel no longer applied. And he had to learn something really, really important. He had to learn that all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. This is what Peter, sorry, not Peter now, Paul says at one point. He says there are some people who require abstinence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now there is a hymn that has that phrase in it or has a slight take on it. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. So thank the Lord for all his love. When you thank God for the food, 
you're acknowledging that the food on the table is not just there because your parents paid for it, although it is there for that reason, but even they would confess that even their ability to earn the money or to dig the field or to have the field grow the stuff still comes ultimately from God. So all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. And we shouldn't reject them. We should accept them with thanksgiving and recognition of him. I'm going to read the rest of Acts chapter 10 with you. And in fact, I'm going to go into Acts chapter 11 because the story does. So um, although the chapter headings stop at a certain point, you sometimes have to go where the reading takes you. So we'll pick it up from the end of where I read to And I basically reached to verse 17 of Acts chapter 10. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon... Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down, and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. I can actually tell you six. I'll tell you, maybe you'll spot how I know. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, 
beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the countries of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with, Jesus, with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And I'm looking for chapter 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa, praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I would stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent 
and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Before we approach this, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the one who gives all good gifts around us, but we recognize that the particular gift that is the reason why we gather here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that that gift is given freely and without favoritism. As we look at this word, as we look at this account of you at work, we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to recognize its importance and that your spirit, Lord, will empower us to understand how this applies to us today. To your glory. Amen. Peter was a good Jew, except that he was staying in the house of a tanner, which is kind of dodgy, if you, if you want to be a bit picky. So Peter perhaps wasn't quite the same Jew as he was before he met the Lord Jesus, before he had become his follower. But Peter nonetheless had been brought up as a Jew. And one of the barriers to the gospel, in essence, is when we don't think it belongs to certain people. We don't think it's for certain people. And often that's our background and our prejudice that they're not like us, so why should they hear the gospel? I'm going to start with a very obvious thing about the book of Acts, which is the book of Acts is introduced with Jesus saying that you will be my witnesses. Actually, you heard Peter say that word, witnesses, in the passage. You'll be my witnesses from Jer in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the pattern is there. And when you look at what happened at the beginning, Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the uh, disciples singing God's praises in many tongues that people who happened to be visiting because, would you believe it, it was Harvest Festival, that's what Pentecost is, they actually recognized that these people were, sing were, were praising God in their own languages and they wanted to know more and Peter explained the gospel and over 3,000 people were converted and those people who were converted were baptized as a sign of the fact that they'd repented and turned to Christ. And the church grew in Jerusalem, while some of those people must have gone back to their home cities and other places because they'd come in from around the Roman Empire to, to visit Jerusalem on that special occasion. They would have gone back. But in, in Jerusalem, which is the big center of the church, the church grew, they shared fellowship together, they did so many other things, and most of what seemed to happen was focused in Jerusalem. And they appointed two, no, they appointed seven people as deacons at one point to deal with a particular practical issue, but they, they appointed men who were full of the spirit and wisdom and who clearly, through their lives, had a good reputation and followed Jesus. The first person named on that list was a man called Stephen. Stephen was martyred for his belief. He, they, they trumped up charges, but he effectively hung himself by telling them as it was why the Jews, through history, had so often rejected the prophets and now so many of these people who are accusing him 
were rejecting Jesus. And isn't it just the same thing? And he was stoned. And a persecution broke out against the church. But God's plan was that the church would spread. So what happened was, with the exception of the apostles, who perhaps the people persecuting them didn't want to touch because they'd, they'd had a go at them before and God had got Peter out of prison and so forth. The rest of the church, huge number of them, spread out into Judea and Samaria. And while they were there, they told all those people about Jesus. And people were converted. The second man on that list of deacons was a man called Philip. Philip, we hear about because he too was in a city in Samaria and he was preaching the gospel and seeing huge impact, people turning to God. But then he was sent to a road where he met a man who was a eunuch from Ethiopia who happened to be the treasurer for the Ethiopian queen. And by that divine appointment, and again, God showing his hand quite clearly, the gospel starts to reach that part of Africa because that man was converted. But Peter probably hasn't quite twigged what's going on yet. And Peter, of course, is the the front and centre apostle. He may not be the most important apostle, but he is the front and centre one. He's the guy that always ends up being the spokesman and so forth. So God gets to work on Peter. And what Peter does in this passage is to take the gospel to a bunch of people who were definitely not Jewish. They weren't even slightly Jewish. They weren't sort of the, the intermediate Greek style of Jews, so they hadn't got the heredity, but they kind of were in. And he has to be prepared for it. So it turns out that when you look at the passage, you can get a lot of peas out of this. You can get the people. You've got Peter and you've got Cornelius. You've got the preparation of both of them. You've got the proclamation of the gospel. And you've got what I'm going to call the post-mortem, which gives you our application. And the post-mortem goes into chapter 11. So we'll look at each part in turn, and we're going to start with Peter and his vision, and then we'll go back and look at Cornelius. So Peter has this vision, the one I talked about with the kids just now. And the basic thrust of the vision is that although while you're following the Jewish religion, you shouldn't eat pork and so forth and so forth and so forth, those things are not true anymore because what, what distinctions there were between Jew and non-Jew and between clean and unclean are gone. All good gifts around us are actually sent from heaven above. Now think about it from Peter's point of view. The whole of his life, he stayed away from anything that would have been non-kosher. The whole of his life, he dressed certain ways. He did certain things. He had been brought up in a nation where everybody did that because everybody did that. So his culture, as well as his belief, because he would have read the Old Testament, is there are certain things I shouldn't do. And there he is. <coughs> He's been praying. He's hungry. There's a big food element throughout this. And he gets offered through this sheet, all of these different things. And he still can't do that. 
I can't do that. My mum would kill me. Well, yeah, she, she would, wouldn't she? Because she taught him not to. Um, but God keeps saying to him, no, you can. You can. It's okay. Because this is all part of God's creation. When you read the psalm that we just read, it makes it clear. All of God's creation. So Peter realises that this is important, but doesn't quite get why. And while he's still like, whoa, just waking up, bang, 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 these guys from Joppa appear, and then the Spirit speaks to him directly and says, you're going to go with these guys. Don't argue about it. You're going to go with them. So it's all in his mind that he's thinking, wow. And when he gets there, he says... I'm in your house now because I've realized because of a vision God just gave me that nothing is impure in the way that I used to think. I've had to change my thinking. I'll tell you why. If you set foot in, let alone et in, the house of a Gentile, you were unclean. You may remember Jesus being told off for going to certain people's houses and associating with certain people. That's the same kind of problem, isn't it? But this is worse. At least they were Jewish sinners. These guys, they're Gentiles. They're completely outside the people of God. What's he even doing talking to them? So that's the situation. And you notice the first thing that happened in chapter 11? These guys said, is it true? You went to a Gentile's house and you ate there? I don't know what the equivalent would be here. Um, I don't know that this church is completely teetotal, but it would be a bit like saying you went inside a pub and had whiskey and beer or something. I don't know. It would be far worse, to be perfectly honest. Okay? And, you know, again, <coughs> do not get drunk on wine, but take a little wine for your stomach. The, the, the Bible doesn't actually say absolutely no alcohol. There are reasons why at various times Christians, including my grandmother and others, who my grandmother was a very staunch Methodist, would say, we don't, we don't take drink. And the reason was actually because of causing your brother to stumble. If, if, if you're in a position where somebody looks up to you and you do something, other people say, I'm allowed to do the same thing. So you might take one little thimble of sherry or something, and they say, oh, they drink, and then they can get drunk. So the danger isn't that, it's the other. But that's a matter of conscience. It isn't a biblical mandate, nobody drinks. Okay, sorry, I'm off, I'm off track. So, so Peter has been prepared by God. Let's have a look at Cornelius. Cornelius is a devout man. He's God-fearing. He gives generously. He prays to God. But he doesn't believe for a moment that the gospel of this Jew Jesus Christ is for him. He's heard about it. Peter says so. Peter assumes that. And I'm sure he had heard. But because he's not a Jew, and because no Jew would even enter his house, although some of them respect him, he's outside. He's not one of them. He's one of the enemy. He's an occupying soldier. He's a Gentile. He's outside. He's not one of God's chosen. So, sorry, mate, however good you are, you're not allowed to do this, okay? And we all recognise that 
when you get to that point where you don't believe you're accepted, you don't even ask. Because you know that the answer's going to be, okay? With the exception of Oliver asking for more or something like that, and everybody's completely shocked that he'd even dare. You know, he just doesn't know that he can ask somebody to come and tell him. And so he's praying, and he has a vision, and an angel appears to him. Now, it's interesting, this, because the three passages I've preached on recently, there's all, there is every time some kind of an angelic element to it. But every time, the angel doesn't say, it's okay, I'll just explain the gospel to you. Every time, the vision sends the person to proclaim the gospel or the person to hear the gospel. It's never that the angel does it for you. So, guys, listen up. If you want the world to hear... It's our job. That's why God has put the church on earth. To actually be that light on a hill. That people can see. That, that light, that city on a hill. The light that's not hidden under a bushel. I'm not too good today, am I? Okay, so... He hears that he has to send men to... Joppa to bring back a man named Simon and so forth. And we hear in... Peter's account that actually something in particular the angel said, this is really important, so this is one of the reasons why you have to read the whole thing. It actually says that he will give you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. That's verse 14 of chapter 11. He will declare you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So, no wonder they're all sitting there waiting when Peter turns up. This message that he gives you is going to save you. It's kind of important to be there, isn't it? So you have the godly man who, who, who's doing all the right things, but isn't accepted by God yet and doesn't believe he ever could be. And you have the other godly man who does know Christ but doesn't believe Christ is for people like Gentiles and others because he just thinks, oh, it's just for the Jews. It's great because that's how he's been brought up. So he is in his silo. He is in his silo. And God isn't going to let that stay that way because his plan is that the gospel will go to everyone across the whole world. So he has to break this barrier. Now, the barrier is gone, really, but Peter just doesn't know it yet. It's an interesting little thing. Somebody did an experiment at one point where they had a fence around a playground and they took it away. And the kids actually stood, if anything, a little further from the fence than they used to. They wouldn't go past the fence boundary because they were so used to being in that space until the next generation of kids come along and they don't care because they don't remember the fence. But that generation knew there had been a fence there and weren't crossing the line. And Peter's like that. The fence isn't there. He just hasn't noticed yet. So God has had to say to him, look, it's okay. Nothing is unclean. So not just the food, which is important, but the implication of the grace of God being spread out. So <coughs> that's the preparation. God has met with Peter He's met with Cornelius through an angel, and they are now going to meet. 
So we get the proclamation. Well, what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is that actually Peter invites in the Gentile visitors and they eat at Simon's house. Before, I think he'd have said, go and stay at the Premier Inn down the road and I'll meet you tomorrow. I don't think he'd have let them in. Okay? So that you can see the change going on. And again, there's more food in there. They arrive in Caesarea, verse 24, and Cornelius is expecting them and he'd already called together his relatives and close friends, which turns out to be a lot of people. Peter says, I'm only a man, don't worship me, and then talks with him and goes inside and finds these people. And the first thing he says is, a bit like that advert on the television, you know I shouldn't be here. You know I shouldn't be here, really. Because I'm a Jew, and I'm not allowed to be in this house. But, (coughs) you're well aware, it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And one of the problems with it would be, what would other people say? And I think we have that problem too. Sometimes when we're doing something, our worry is what somebody else is going to think about what I'm doing, not whether what I'm doing is actually the right thing. We're worried about our appearance. Okay? But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone. He's made that little connection. It's not just animals, but it's also people. I shouldn't show, call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So tell me, why did you send for me? So Cornelius explains again, and he says, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Because God said that what you tell us will be what saves us. So what does Peter tell them? What is it that he actually proclaims? Well, first of all, he makes a further connection in his brain and he realizes something else. As he speaks, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Until this point, he's thought, I am Peter, one of this special people called the Jews, Israel, and we've got all this stuff and it's brilliant. We're the chosen special people. A bit of a Moreno complex if you're a footballer. But it turns out God doesn't show favoritism. When God spoke to Abraham and said he'd create a people, he said through his people the whole world will be blessed. And I think there's all kinds of things going off in in Peter's brain as he's rewiring his thinking and going, you know what? I've just realized God doesn't show favoritism. I'm allowed to tell you about Jesus. Well, let's do that then. And so he does, and he starts with the life of Jesus and how God had sent Jesus and attested him by the signs and the wonders and the things that Jesus had done. And then he said, exactly like he says back in Pentecost, but the Jews killed him. Remember, he is a Jew. The Jewish people, they put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. And caused him to be seen, and we're the witnesses. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It's interesting this, but all the way through Acts, that is coming up again and again. He's the judge. So the risen Jesus ultimately is the one who decides whether you're a sheep or a wolf, whether you're in or you're out. No favoritism here, but that is the judge. The judge is Jesus. And this is what the prophets testify about him. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the gospel, isn't it? There is one other thing I want to just pick up on in case you don't get it. It says, does what is right, in verse 35. And in some of the other versions, it says, good works. Hang on a minute. Don't you always preach we're not saved by good works? Oh, I'm I'm completely right on that. Don't worry. John chapter 6, Jesus says, the work, the good work is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Okay, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So there isn't a contradiction here because believing in God and looking for Jesus is you're a seeker, if you like. But when you believe in Jesus, you're doing the work of God. That, that is what, what he looks for. So those who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, Everyone finds this funny, especially everybody who's not a preacher who goes on very long. While Peter was still talking, they broke out in tongues. The Holy Spirit came on them, just like Pentecost. This is, if you like, the Gentile Pentecost. And they received the Holy Spirit. And they're praising God, just like happened back in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And Peter goes, okay, right, And his conclusion is spot on. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. So what happens is Cornelius and his household repent, believe, receive the Holy Spirit and are baptised in the name of Jesus that very day. Two days ago, Peter wouldn't have gone into their house And now there he is, watching God save Gentiles through the message that he has just been speaking. The same message he's been speaking in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria at other times. Can you imagine what that has done for Peter? And for the six people with him who were also circumcised believers circumcised believers because they were brought up in the Jewish faith and you get circumcised. So the proclamation turns out to be exactly what happened in Jerusalem or elsewhere. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, sent by God. Jesus proclaimed God's kingdom. He came to his own. His own rejected him and crucified him. God raised him from the dead He is now the risen Lord who will come back and judge heaven and earth. But there is this time of grace where those who turn and believe in him can be saved. Not because of all the good things they do, but because of that one 
sacrifice he made to give himself for their sin. That's the position. And these guys got it there and then, and they became Christians. So, the last P is the post-mortem, which leads to an application. So, word spreads that this has happened. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because verse 1 says, The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. That's what they heard. But what did some of them ask? Verse 2 and 3, of course. He went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party, the people who strongly felt that Christianity is just a Jewish subgroup, if you like. It's, it, it, we're Jews first and we believe in Jesus almost second. They said, you went to uncircumcised men. And you went with them. And we sound upset. It does remind me <coughs> of a small group of very faithful Christians I used to see in the um, space outside a supermarket in the town where I went to university. And these guys would stand there with a Bible. And there'd be a group of at least four or five of them. And they would stand there and one of them would be speaking. No actual engagement with the people around them. And I found out from a friend of mine who was from a brethren background that she had... found out that particular fellowship existed. She ended up going to another one. But she found out this fellowship existed and she turned up. And in order to get into the door, they had demanded a reference. So let me get this straight. You stand out there and you proclaim the Bible. And if we come to your building, you need a reference to get in. Isn't this a bit of a barrier? And that's the problem when you believe you're right, you're right, you're right, and you're so right that only your little group is right, and you forget that actually it's God through his spirit who is spreading the word. It is God who's empowering it, and he's picking people, and he's sending people, and he's nudging people, and he's doing other things, and it's by the power of the spirit that anything that I say will make any impact. And if you forget that, and you forget that you shouldn't just live in your silo of people who look like you and live like you, I'd like that person to become a Christian because they're quite nice. You miss it. Some people go the other way and they say, I'm only going to go after the very worst people. So it's just like kids in class. The really bright ones get all the attention. The really awkward ones get all the attention. But the one in the middle get ignored. You know? That doesn't work that way. God shows absolutely no favoritism. Um, so they're saying, look, you just broke the Jewish rules. And he doesn't attack them directly. He just explains what has happened. And he explains it quite carefully. He says, look, I was, first of all, shown this vision. And God kept saying to me, no common, nothing that God has made clean should be called unclean or common. And then these people turned up and these six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. So you're right, we did. I admit it. 
And he told us how he'd seen the angel and said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, you begin to wonder how long this sermon was going to be. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Another theme in Acts. Even one of the high priests said, look, if this is of God, we're not going to be able to stop it. And if it isn't, it will fizzle out. If it's of God, don't stand in its way. And when they realized what he'd said and they got the message... What's their conclusion? God has granted repentance that leads to life, even to those horrible, unclean Gentiles, like you and me, because that's what we are. don't know if anybody here has got a Jewish heritage, but I haven't, so I'm definitely an unclean Gentile. That is amazing. Suddenly, the people who were supposed to be God's chosen people they kind of aren't anymore. Because now God's chosen people are the people who believe in Jesus. Simple as. But the application of that is quite interesting because you look on and the very next words in my Bible are it starts talking about the church in Antioch, which was one of the big sending places for mission to the Gentiles. So at this moment in time, you've got a turning point. The focus up until now has been people who are Jewish or Jewish-connected with some threads going out elsewhere. But now God is saying the next phase begins and the Gentiles, the rest of the world, are going to hear this amazing message of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. My question when I read this is... One, am I open to do what God wants me to do? Both of these men, Peter and Cornelius, appear to be praying not just regularly, but frequently. What's the difference between regular and frequent? Well, I pray once a week on Sundays. That's very regular, but it's not very frequent, is it? There's a regular bus service from that village over there to Bedford. So the woman buys the house and then complains to the estate agent that no buses have run. And he says, yeah, there is a regular service. They run a special once every Christmas Eve. It's regular, every 24th, but it's not very frequent. Is that my prayer life? Is that how I'm talking to God? Am I in front of this and am I listening to God, to be nudged, to be open to the possibility that his spirit wants me to have a conversation with somebody who I didn't dream would be ready to know the Lord. It's difficult, isn't it? I have a friend who um, is burying her husband this week. Her husband was a lovely guy and he spent his last little bit of time in hospital. He was taken to hospital having collapsed 
fell off the stool thing that lifts him out of the bath. He couldn't get him out. Um, long story short, he ended up in hospital. They found all kinds of things that I suspect if we hadn't had COVID, they'd have been monitoring a bit earlier. And he, he never came out of hospital, but he was in hospital. They did various things for him. And he, for a while, he recovered because he was on various steroids and other things. So his, the pain was gone and he had a very fruitful time. One of the fruitful things that happened was that a, a lady who um, was nursing him borrowed a booklet. He didn't realise, but she borrowed a booklet off him because he couldn't read um, his, his Bible, so he got a booklet which was actually based on the Psalms. It's a scripture booklet. And... This particular nurse, who was not from an English background, spotted it, started to read it, forgot to put it back to start with, um, and then did give it back, so I'm really sorry I've had this a couple of days, but I've read the whole thing through. And I've got a Bible at home. You know, I, I want to read some more. It was a, a daily bread on the Psalms and on, on God being with you. And he was able to tell her a little bit more about his hope. They could see that as well. But she wasn't necessarily the person that he was expecting to witness to. And he wasn't really expecting to go in a hospital to witness to people. He was in hospital because he's dying. As I say, he's now gone to be with the Lord. But you realise that at any time, somebody who maybe you didn't expect could be looking at what you're doing, listening to what you say. And then you have to be like Peter and be willing to have a conversation with them. And maybe go to people or be with people who aren't your normal group. And also recognise, as I have to do every day because of being in a mixed school in Milton Keynes, that what kids look like and what they sound like is not the important thing. It's, it's the fact that I'm trying to be with them and help them to learn maths or whatever it might be that I'm teaching them that I have to engage with them as individuals who are equally created by God. And I have to treat them fairly, no favouritism. Well, how much more so when it comes to the gospel? And that means that we have to be ready to think outside of our little box and be ready to, well, respectfully give an account of what we believe. And Peter is the person who put that in the scriptures on behalf of the Holy Spirit. He wrote that. People prepared by God, hearing a message proclaimed that brings salvation. That is the essence of the way the gospel spreads. How can they hear unless someone tells them? How can they believe in the person they haven't heard of? So unless somebody tells them about Jesus... And unless somebody goes to tell them about Jesus, how can they hear? Rhetorical question. They can't. Jesus has said that everyone should be his witness. Through our lives, yes, but also through being ready to simply explain that the judge, Jesus, wants you to follow him before he has to make that judgment. Repent Believe, be baptised. Simple message, but it's not just for people like you and me. 
and, and I don't know whether you could discriminate by colour of face mask or by whatever else. I wonder whether that'll happen next. You've got to wear it to, I'm waiting for the fashions to start appearing in face masks. But you mustn't go just to the people that look like you. You've got to go to everybody because the gospel is for all. But isn't it amazing how God shakes us up and doesn't let us get away with just sitting in a little corner and going, well, I'm quite happy. Whether it's through making us hungry, whether it's through giving us uh, a massive pandemic that shakes up everything we've been doing, it all is different. Now, the last hymn that we're going to look at together is called Harvest Home. Well, it's not always called that, but that's the, the, the bit that I remember. But when you look at the harvest, it starts off talking about God providing... Then it goes on to talk about the other harvest. The fields are white under harvest, said Jesus. But oh, the workers are few. Pray that the Lord would send workers. Let's just pray and then we'll... Father God, we thank you that you have sent the gospel to those beyond the Jewish nation, which includes us. We thank you that you don't show favoritism. And that, Lord, you offer your grace to all who would believe in you. And we just pray, Lord, that here today we would be putting our faith in you, but also be ready to tell others about the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, as we listen to this hymn and as we close our service, we pray that we would carry with us the, the truth that all good gifts around us are sent from heaven to above heaven above and the greatest gift of all the gospel has been sent by you and is still available to us and to our friends our neighbors and people we haven't even met yet help us lord to be those that are ready to go across boundaries and to tell others the great news of the lord jesus amen